Here's a beautiful book. Wonderful letter. It's written in the midst of great persecution, a very difficult time in the church. You know, when, when tough times come, you really see what people are made of, don't you? The book of Second Peter, we really see what we're made of. First and Second Peter both emphasize the fact that your faith is real, the fact that if it's genuine, it'll stand the test of fire and time, that there's nothing in the world that can derail what God's doing in you. In fact, 1 Peter says you are being preserved for a salvation to come. You're being protected by God for a salvation. So he says, hold on, it's coming. We had talked about the great kingdom of God. The great kingdom of God that works in us. The great kingdom of God that Jesus preached and demonstrated and he left with us. This kingdom is an invisible kingdom. It's one that's in our hearts. It's one that's all around us. And yet he says there will be a day when that kingdom is not just in us, but that kingdom will take over the world. That's the day when Jesus not only returns because there will be a moment where he comes, meets us in the clouds, But there's another moment where he returns to earth and sets up a kingdom. And in that day when there's a kingdom set up by the king, the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. And because he's ruling, there's perfect peace. But you know what the scripture says? There won't be peace until then. Now, we all can have different views. Um, There's some who, you know, you might know these terms, you might not have any idea what these terms mean. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There's different people who have got different opinions about the rapture or different opinions about the last days of the tribulation, all of this. And I believe we can all get along even if we've got different views, right? Because either way, you need to be born again. Either way, you got to be doing the same thing that Jesus left you here to do. Whether or not you're here you know, whether or not you're, you're snatched up before the tribulation, whether you're snatched up in the middle or whether you're snatched up at the end, you got to do the same things. It's the same God that's going to be with you. So there's room for us to have different viewpoints on that. And guess what? Somebody's right and somebody's wrong, and that's all right. But the point is, no matter what you believe about that, no matter what your, your views are on that, we do know that things are going to change when Jesus returns to the earth. The king is coming back. That's not a fantasy we tell ourselves to keep going. It's not a children's story. The king is coming back. We need to be ready and we need to be excited about that day. It's easy to get worn out by people who, uh, people who go so far as to make that the only thing they ever talk about. <laughs> or people that, that obsess over the little details. It's easy to, for some of you to get worn out and then stop, stop thinking about it at all. But the Bible is clear in these letters in the New Testament that we're supposed to be anxiously awaiting our Lord. C.S. Lewis, who was a writer in um, the early part of the past century, of course, was, was uh, prominent during World War II. And so he used a World War II metaphor when he was describing it. He says Christianity is kind of like being in the resistance while you're waiting for the rightful king to return. And the rightful king returns and 
while we're waiting his kingdom to be set up on earth, we engage in, in sabotage. We're, we're, we're resisting. We're, we're the resistance here. Of course, he's referring in his mind, he's thinking about the French or the Dutch. When the Nazis took over their land, they might have been occupied, but they served the real government. They served the real king. They weren't, ser- they weren't serving the Nazis. They were, they were serving a different purpose. And so they realized we're part of the resistance. So to him, being a Christian meant we're part of the resistance. We read a couple of weeks ago how being in submission to the true king, which is Jesus, he tells us to submit ourselves to earthly kings as well. That might not sound like much of a resistance. But the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Human governments, human people... Humans are not our issue. Now, you're a human too. I understand that. People are not the enemy. No matter what you try, no matter how much you're attacked, no matter what the media tries to portray it as, people are never the enemy. The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Now, I want you to hear those three words. Principalities, powers, and rulers. Does that sound? Those are government words, aren't they? Principalities, powers, rulers. These are, these are authority words, which means, and if they're not humans he's talking about, that means that there's a world you don't see that's running the world you do see. Daniel wrote about uh, the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia at a time where there was no prince of Greece or prince of Persia. He wrote about a demonic power that was influencing those nations. Be, don't be ignorant, but know this. The Bible says that there is, a, there is a path, there is a course of this world, and it is a course that's laid out, as he says, by the prince of the power of the air, by Satan himself. That's not fantasy. This isn't Lord of the Rings we're talking about. This is real life. In real life, there's stuff you can't see that's controlling things you can see. Now, the good news is this. You're... You're equipped for this battle. There might be people with their eyes closed, blind to it, but your eyes have been opened. And we're at various stages of open eyes here where we're, some of you are half open, some of you are quarter open, some of you got your eyes full open saying there's a battle we're fighting. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe, <clears throat> you might have a couple, some people tell you this, I personally don't believe that the Lord put us here to just, um, you know, just to, just to patiently um, just, just sort of survive this day and age and, and just sort of make it, you know, crawling on our bellies to, to his kingdom come. Neither do I believe this. I don't believe that he's waiting for us to set up his kingdom and then he's going to come back. There's some that preach that. I believe that his kingdom, we are to expand his kingdom, we're to preach his kingdom, we're to demonstrate the kingdom. The kingdom's a reality to us. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Absolutely. But the scripture's pretty clear about one thing. It's not going to be fixed until he comes back. So I don't believe he left us here and everything's going to be fixed and then he comes back onto a peaceful planet. No, there's apparently going to be a bit, of a, a bit of a fight for it. And when he returns, things will be made right. I want you to read in 2 Peter because there's some relevant stuff that really pertains to us in this day and age.
2 Peter 3 verse 1 says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Anybody here got a sincere mind? You might not have the smartest mind in the room, but it can be sincere. See what sincere means? It's not, it, it's not hypocritical. It's not, it's not got a secret agenda. Your sincere mind means that you're doing your best to use your mind to follow the Lord, use your mind to worship him just as, as it is in submission to your spirit. It says, I want to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Some of you have been saved for so long, you've heard every sermon that could possibly be preached. Everything you ever hear is just a twist on something you've already heard. But there's power in being reminded of something. Sometimes you need to be reminded. You should never roll your eyes and go, I've heard this before. Because that's a sign of a hardened heart. You need to be excited. If we can't get excited about the stuff that got you, that got you excited when you first got born again, something's wrong. Some people are so looking for the secret hidden stuff that they miss the real thing. Oh, it's so difficult for me when someone's been saved for a long time, and you know what? They're not doing anything with what they've heard. They're not working out what they already believe. And so what happens is they're bored with what they hear over and over again. And so they, they want to hear something new, something tickle my ear, something mysterious, something strange, something secret. The Bible talks about those folks. Doesn't use glowing terms. Whatever we learn, it's not to tickle our mind, not to tickle our ears, but to glorify Jesus, to build us up, to edify the church. And if you got it all figured out, find somebody you can help. Find somebody you can raise up. If, you already, if you've already arrived, which I don't think any of us have, sometimes maybe you need to be doing a little bit more serving and a little bit less consuming. Anyways, that's off the topic. Let's go back. <laughs> he says, you need to be stirred up by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So he says, you need to remember what I've already said. Everybody's looking for a fresh word, but you need to go back and remember what I've said. Look back at the prophets. What did I say was going to happen? This, he says, know this first of all. That in the last days, anybody figure we're in the last days now? Yeah? Do you know Peter said the last days started on the day of Pentecost? If that was the beginning of the last days, we're in like the super last days. There's signs everywhere, guys. Jesus gave us some signs to look for. They all seem to be happening. Now, wherever you think that timeline is, I think we all can agree it's coming up pretty quick. My dad used to always say this, and I thought it was a wise thing. He said, I don't know if this is the last generation, but it's my last generation. Very true, right? I mean, this is your last shot. Whether or not this is the earth's last shot, it's yours. So live as if it is. But he says this. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So here's what the mockers are going to say. Do you know it's easy to be a mocker? It's safe to be a mocker. It's cowardly to be a mocker because you don't have to stand up for anything. 
So you can criticize, you can criticize, you can criticize, but you're not open to criticism yourself because you haven't stood up for anything. You could, you could say, oh, I mean, it's like these guys, you go, you go to Tim Hortons and you find these guys sitting at, I mean, they're there at the same table. I don't know what they do with the rest of their life, but they're at the same table every day. And they're talking about how, well, you know, there's no such thing as a good politician. Ah, they're all crooks, they're all crooks. So you know what? That's a very safe way to live. Because no matter who's in power, you can bash them and no one can say, oh, you, you stood up for that guy. Look how bad he messed up because they didn't stand up for anybody. So no matter who's in power, they're right. They're all crooks. And that's a very safe way to live is just to criticize and to mock. But in reality, there's nothing edifying about it. He says, mockers will come. And here's what they're going to say. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. He says in verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction among godly men. My goodness, that doesn't sound like fun. What he's saying is, you guys think everything's just going to troll along? The earth is temporary. Now, it's never become more clear than it is today. Science now backs this up. We're looking around going, this isn't going to last forever. God told us that from the very beginning. God created this earth, but it's not permanent. It's temporary, and it will be a day when it all burns up. He says, unfortunately, those that have rejected his offer, his free gift of salvation, they suffer the same punishment. But here's the deal. There's going to be folks that stop believing that Jesus is coming back. They start to mock. In the last days, they start to say, come on, we've been saying this for a long time, and nothing's changed. But that's a reality today, isn't it? It's a very big reality. I'll tell you why. Because so many have made, made such an issue about figuring out the exact day, the exact hour that Jesus is coming back, that people get worn out. You know, when I was a teenager in the 90s and in the early 2000s, every Christian movie that ever got produced was a rapture movie. Like, we had no other topic, nothing else to talk about. Why? Well, because it was an excuse to make a movie with guns and explosions. Because <laughs> that was still Christian, because it's a rapture movie, right? So, we are worn out, guys. Like, get to the point where somebody's like, we're going to have a Christian movie party. I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Don't want a Christian movie party. I've, I've done with these cheap... Budget B-movie, cheap effect rapture movies, no more. My sister and I, I remember one time there was a, a video library back here, and, and uh, I, I know my mom and my dad didn't know every movie that was back then. I remember we were downstairs, we were just kids, and mom and dad are working upstairs. We put in this movie, I think it was like Thief in the Night or something, and we stick it in the video player, and we watched it on the big projector because we, it was summer, and mom and dad had to work at the church here, so we're downstairs watching a movie. They thought we were watching like Gospel Bill or something, but we, we plug in this, this uh, rapture movie, and like the first thing that happens is a guillotine comes down, chops somebody's head off. 
And we're just staring at the screen like, don't tell mom. <laughs> so now you know. You got to a burnout point. I don't want to hear any more about this. 1988, there's a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1980. Well, it didn't come out in 88. I think it came out in 87 or something. 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. That book's out of print now. <laughs> Late Great Planet Earth. Harold Camping. Bless his heart. He's with Jesus now. I do believe he was a brother in the Lord. He was probably sincere in his belief. But he was convinced like five different times that he figured out when the day of the Lord was coming. Can I tell you something? Every time you look, somebody's using some complex math and some, some Hebrew tricks. I'm not talking about tricks that Hebrews make. I'm talking about people that don't know Hebrew trying to say they know something. Oh, no, I'll tell you what they didn't account for. This number is counted with this number, which is a thousand of these numbers. And I, nobody did the math right, but I finally did it right. You can do the math to make any day the day Jesus is coming back. Get the right numbers and this number and this number, subtracted by seven, divided by 12, and you get the number that Jesus is coming back March 29th, 2014. <laughs> write it down. So what happens? We all get burnt out. We get tired of hearing about it. But that's not the attitude we're supposed to have. No matter what has been said, no matter how somebody took it over to the top, you're supposed to be waiting for Jesus expectingly. Not just waiting at the door like a puppy waiting for his master to come home. But he says, blessed is a servant who I come back doing what I left him here to do. Doing what he left you to do. Think about this. How many of you own your own business? All right. For the rest of you, imagine that you do. Whatever that is. You've always wanted to own a, a Cold Stone Creamery. Now you do. All right. So nobody, nobody wanted to own a Cold Stone Creamery. Some of the kids did. Yeah. All right. Young at heart. So you own your own business. Imagine this. Now you go away. You tell your workers, I'm coming back. You got three guys working for you. The first guy, after a while, you're not back as soon as he thought you were coming back. So you know what? He just gets to the point where he goes, what's the point? You're not coming back anytime soon. Guys, this is free time. Boss is away. Let's just hang out, do whatever we want to do. We got those people in the church. There's no sense of urgency there's no sense that there's anything left. They're just kind of killing time until they die. Then you got another guy. Now, he believes you're coming back. He's not like the first guy. The first guy gave up. The second guy believes you're coming back, but that's all he thinks about. But you left him here to do a work. You left him at the warehouse or at the store or whatever to do his job. But instead, he put down his broom. He put down whatever he had. And he's, he's obsessing about every detail. What will the sound be when his car drives up? You know, uh, we really need to study the door a little bit more. I want to know exactly how it opens when he comes in. Because I want to be standing at the perfect spot 
in the warehouse, when he comes in the door, I want him to see me first, so I'm going to obsess about it. And then he starts looking at the times, and he starts calculating. And the problem is, this whole time he's trying to figure out when you're coming back, bless his heart, he's happy you're coming back, but that's all he's thinking about, and he's no longer doing what you left him to do. Then you got a third guy. Third guy's aware you're coming back at any time. Third guy's aware he might be surprised by it. He'll know the season you're coming back, but he not, might not know the exact moment you're coming back. But either way, he's got a job to do. So he says, when he comes back, I want to be doing my job. I want this all, I want to get as much done as I can in this time I have. That's the guy you're going to promote. In this planet, we, in Christianity, we got those three guys. We get those that have no urgency, no expectation that Jesus is coming back, so they don't care. You got those that are too obsessed about it, and they're not doing anything on the earth anymore. They're just, think, they're just you know, doing their calculations and watching YouTube videos. And you got your group that says Jesus is coming. They remind themselves Jesus is coming. They celebrate that he's coming, but they realize there's a reason he hasn't come yet. And it's not because the microchip technology hasn't caught up. because of this. He says in this, verse 8, do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now I'm going to say this again. This is not meant to be a mathematical calculation. One day equals a thousand years, a thousand years equals a His point is time is not an issue with God. He lives outside of time. Because he lives outside of time, a thousand years goes by just like that. And if he wants, one day it can go by like a thousand years. He's not restricted to our timeline. So he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. Now, you realize why he's writing this. You got a group of people that are worn out. They're being persecuted. They're hurting they're saying, I thought you said Jesus was coming back. And he says, guys, the Lord is not being slow here. He's not slow about his promise. Here's what he is. As some count slowness, slowness but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So the thing is that the Lord is not slow. He's patient. Those things may seem similar, but they're very different that means the reason Jesus isn't coming back isn't because he's taking his sweet time, but because he loves the world so much that he wants to give more time for repentance. That time won't last forever, guys. Now, if the desire of the Lord, if the reason he tarries is because he wants people to come to repentance, what do you figure our part to play is? We got to preach the gospel because of the gospel that leads to repentance. We got to tell the good news. It's God's desire. Now, this will turn some people's theology on its head, but it's God's desire. His ultimate desire is not to see how, how full hell can get, but how many can be rescued from it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? It's going to come when people don't expect it. It'll be quick. It'll be unexpected in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. So everything is going to burn eventually. Nothing's permanent. You can't keep it. What sort of people 
ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Did you know every time, seems like every time that the coming of the Lord is discussed in the New Testament, it ties together with holy and godly living. People that eagerly await the Lord's coming tend to live differently. It says here, since all these things would be destroyed. So what he's saying is this earth's going to burn up. All the money's going to burn up. Everything else, it's not going to last. It's temporary. A holy life, a godly life, is a life that's focused on eternal rather than temporary. You're living for things that will last. That's what it's about. A godly life, you're saying, there's something that's going to last, and it's not this. What am I doing with my life that's going to last, that's going to stand the test of time? See, that's the question. We've been talking about the reality of the kingdom of God. You've got to know everything you do, every move you make, everything you build. It's either going to get burned up with everything else or it's going to stand. The difference is, what is the foundation? What's your reason? Did the Lord tell you to build it? Is it built with the right stuff? Your actions count, guys. It counts. Everything you do counts. Now, that's good news because there's crowns waiting for you. But don't waste your life. You're on here for a brief moment. No matter when Jesus returns, your moment on this earth is brief. It's just a breath. Use it. Because he says, since this stuff's not going to last, how does that change how we live today? (coughs) Excuse me. How does this change how we live today? In holy conduct and godliness. But he's not done. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Those two things go interestingly together. Did you notice he doesn't just say looking for the day of the Lord? He says hastening the day of the Lord. What does hastening mean? It means to speed something up. You ever considered that the day of the Lord might be sped up depending on how we do our job? Looking for and hastening the day of the Lord, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We'll stop there for a moment. He wants people that are looking for the day of the Lord. He wants people that are excited for the day of the Lord. He wants people that are waiting for the return of the king and are pumped about it and are doing something about it because the king is coming back. What am I doing right now with the time I've got? I want to read you something in Jude as we we follow this point. Jude, verse 17. It's only got one chapter, so I'm just going to give you the verse. Jude 17 says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound what Peter just said? It sounds sort of the same, doesn't he? Remember, he says, I want to stir you, remind, stir you up by way of reminder. I want to remind you of some things. 
Jude says, you got to remember what the apostles have spoken. In verse 18, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded. Worldly minded. They're focused on this life and this life alone. They're worldly minded. That's another, another way you might translate it. That is natural minded. What does the Bible says? It says, you've been raised up with Christ. Therefore, set your mind on things above and not on the things beneath. In other words, everything I do, does that mean I don't go to, to a restaurant to eat and I just say, I don't need food, I'm spiritual? No, you need food. You need a job. But everything you do with those things, every moment you've got, you say, how does this count for the kingdom? Now, you go on vacation to Hawaii. And I don't believe God's got a problem at all with that. We need to rest. We need a time away. But in that time, you say, God, what do you want to say, say to me here? How are you going to use this time? When you go to work, that's not your time, and then God gets your time after. That's his time too. Why did you put me in this job? What am I here to do? Why? It, does this relationship still in my life? What's, what's the purpose for this? That's being spiritually minded. Worldly-minded says this is all there is. Let's just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He says these people are devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. When you're worldly-minded, you make dumb decisions. The Apostle Paul talked about a guy. He wrote out a list of people that had left him at the end of his life. And he said, this guy left me having loved this present world. This guy caused me harm. He said, this guy departed, having loved this present world. Because he loved this present world, he, fors he, he, for he was forsaking what God had put him there to do. And he, left, he left the mission for what the world had to offer. Jude 20 says this, but you, beloved, thank God, he's not talking about you in the first couple verses, hey? He says, but you, beloved, Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Boy, isn't that important. A day like today when I don't know how to pray. How powerful it is to pray in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit prays out the perfect will of God. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If he has to tell yourself to keep... If he has to tell you to keep yourself in the love of God, don't you think there's things all around you that are trying to tear you out of the love of God? Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to eternal life. What's he talking about? He's talking about the coming of Jesus. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Boy, that's got to be somebody who's pretty far off, hey? He's talking about some, save somebody, snatching them out of the fire. Not others, have mercy with fear, hating, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. He's talking about a group of people that are in so deep. He says, be careful that you don't fall into the same junk, but you're there to help them. Show mercy to these people. Now, if you're worried about that last verse and you say, what if it gets on me? What if I fall like everyone else? then you need to read this verse. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The next book is the book of Revelation. But this letter and Peter's letter were both written very late in the game as far as the letters of the New Testament are. A time where they're encouraging a persecuted church, don't give up. Jesus is coming. And even though Jesus didn't return to the earth in their lifetime, they had to live by the same code that we live by. Now that tells you, that tells you something, doesn't it? That he prepared them for the coming of Jesus. He says, this is how you live. Whether or not he came in their lifetime, the outcome of their life should have been the same. This tells me that I'm equipped, whether Jesus comes in the next year or the next 50 years, the next 100 years, I'm supposed to do the same thing. Occupy until he comes. Join the resistance. The world is trying to change you. It's trying to grind you down. But the king is still the king. He's on the throne and he's coming back. Get excited about it. Let it affect how you live. Watch how it changes your life when you're, when you're knowing that his coming is soon. His coming is imminent. The return of the king is upon us. So let's wake up. Let's wake up from our slumber. Let's put on the armor of light for the day is almost here. The night is almost gone. Let us wake up from the slumber and put on the armor of light. This won't last forever. Stop living like you think it will. You can't blame the world for living that way because they don't know anything different. Once your eyes have been opened, how could you live the same? How could you just sit in your deck chairs on a sinking ship, order another glass of whatever you're drinking, and listen to the music as the ship goes down? Let's get the lifeboats out. Let's get people in the boats. Let's say Jesus is coming. How am I going to live differently? Because he's coming soon. And in this time, it's more important than ever that you build yourself up in faith. You get into the word. You encourage one another and build each other up. You keep yourselves in the love of God. You pray in the Holy Spirit as much as you can. Pray in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how to pray in the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to leave today without knowing. It's going to change our life. Live as if he's coming back today. And I guarantee if he comes back in 100 years, you'll still have lived a good life. You'll live the life he called you to live. Amen? He's coming soon. I don't know how soon, but I know it's soon. Look around. The signs are there. Signs are in the heavens, the signs are in the earth, signs are in, in, the, in, in everything. The earth is groaning. It's in its labor pains, it's in its final days. Thank God we've been prepared for this time. The Lord has been patient. He's patient for a reason. Let's make it worth it, amen? Stand up with me.